Good morning, church family. Welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church this morning. We are glad that you're here in person. And those of you that are joining us online, what a great week it has been. This past week, we had Vacation Bible School all Monday through Thursday from about 9 a.m. to about noon. And we had a number of young people that came that were uh, unconnected to our church that got connected in some way. And then we had several young people make profession of faith uh, this week. And then if you haven't noticed already, the asphalt for our parking lot is all down. Amen? Praise the Lord. It's all down. There's still some curbing and, and islands that need to be made and uh, with some uh, that curb that they do down or put down the extruded curb. And then there's some lights that need to be put in and a screen wall and some other things. So it's not yet totally done, but we got to go ahead to park on it. And I never do this. If I was, were to park somewhere, I would, would park kind of like back here if, if this wasn't all already constructed or I'd park way in the back corner. But uh, since the parking lot is done, we've been slaving to get this thing done for a long time. I parked in the spot over here. I uh, just wanted to mark my spot, at least at this point today. And so I uh, did that today. And then this, if you'll be in prayer, our young people tomorrow morning will go off to teen camp. And this year, we have the privilege of running our own teen camp uh, up uh, just past Sholo. And so Pastor Caleb and a number of uh, youth workers have all got together. They've cleared their schedule. They've taken off work. They've made themselves available so that our young people and uh, some young people from another church uh, can have camp and hear the word of God and be challenged and be helped and be encouraged. So this week, all week long, I want you to be in prayer for Pastor Caleb and all the workers there from our church and the other church, Maranatha, that God would uh, use them to be able to speak into the hearts. There's a speaker coming in also uh, from back east and pray that God would use him to challenge our young people for uh, the furtherance of their growth and development as Christians. And I know at the end of the week, I'm looking forward to exciting things, uh, some good decisions, maybe young people being saved and young people making commitments for the Lord. And I hope you'll be praying that as well. And then also I wanted to say before we got to the message, uh, thank you for those that have showed uh, uh, expressions of kindness uh, for my 50th birthday that I celebrated last week. Uh, I got these two big black cards uh, with nice messages. If you weren't here for the second service, they had a table that looked like a hospital bed set up in the lobby. And uh, there was an IV of uh, Pepsi Zero coming down to the bed. And there were cupcakes underneath. And then they gave me a bag full of uh, like 50-year uh, prizes and things like uh, um, Depends were in the bag. Um, a pill uh, thing for each day to take your pills, to put your pills in. I'm almost there, all right? I'm almost there. Uh, there was liniment, you know, you rub on your sore muscles. There was uh, denture cream and all this other stuff was in there. And I just thought, okay, all right, I'll remember this. I'll remember this. I'll remember this. But thank you for your expressions of kindness. And today, I'm excited to get into one of my favorite passages in all the book of Ephesians. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 15. The title of the message is Paul's Prayer for the Ephesians. R. Kent Hughes tells the story of a young missionary named Ray Edmond, who over 60 years ago 
staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle, desperately ill. He'll be dead by the morning, the doctor said. Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black so it would be ready for the funeral that she figured was impending. In fact, in the tropics, funerals must be held immediately or else the bodies begin to decay immediately. However, thousands of miles away in Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting at the exact moment that all of this was going down in Ecuador, saying at the prayer meeting, I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. The group prayed earnestly until Evans called out, Praise the Lord! The victory is won. And the story goes like this. Ray Edmund recovered. His wife's dress did not. <laughs> Dr. Edmund, the missionary who was ill, went on to become the president of Wheaton College and went on to minister for another 40 years after that. You see, God works through the intercessory prayer on behalf of others. Someone well said this, the greatest gift we can give to one another is to pray for one another. Amen. The greatest gift we can give to one another is to pray for one another. But let me ask you a question this morning. Do we pray for one another? I know we say it. Praying for you, brother. I know you're going through it. Thinking about your family. And sometimes we honestly do, and sometimes we honestly, we don't. Paul asked the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 15 to pray for him as he ministered to others. And here's what the Bible records. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He also said something similar to the Thessalonians. He said, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is in you. Paul challenged Timothy to pray for leaders in government. And here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions be given uh, of all men. And it says, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, we have a great opportunity not just to pray for our own needs and the needs of our families, but we also have an opportunity on a daily basis, on a regular basis, to pray for others. Someone well said it this way, we need to pray for others to be the answer of prayer to others. We need to pray for others to be the answer of prayer to others. And here in our text, we see that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and here specifically, he prayed for them to grow and to be a blessing to others. And as he does, as we get to the text, notice Paul praises God for their progress. Notice the text. Uh, let's look, first of all, at verse 16. Paul writes, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, every thought of the Ephesians brought thoughts of thanks to the heart of Paul. Thoughts of gratitude for their growth. Uh, thoughts filled with memories from their inception to their current state of growth. And every thought of them led Paul to praise God and to be thankful for them. Now, in just a few months, it'll be 15 years since 
I've had the privilege to pastor the Desert Hills Baptist Church. 15 years ago, on October the 14th, 2007, Desert Hills Baptist Church began. We began in a declining economy, kind of like now. <laughs> we began in the housing market in California was just starting to, to go to pot. Uh, the housing market here in Arizona was just starting to, to see that. 2008 was really big or bad for Arizona, 9, 10, and 11. In California, it was 2007, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, but it was all starting to come to head at that time. And, and we had enough money, my wife and I, to either fish or cut bait. And we decided to fish. And there were a lot of unknowns. And there was a lot of uncertainty. And there was a lot of things that didn't work out. But we followed the call and the plan of God. And we moved from uh, California. And we came here. And God allowed a church to be formed. And let me just say this. We've had our ups and we've had our downs. We've had our mountaintops and we've had our valleys. We've had our uh, difficulties and we've had our victories. But praise the Lord, there's a church here that exists. There's people that are growing. And let me say this honestly. I look at you people this morning and I thank God for you all. Every last one of you. Paul, after having completed his 203-word sentence, verses 3 through 12, where he celebrated the blessings each of the Ephesians and every believer has because of their salvation, he now goes on to praise God for the practical outworking of those blessings as evidence here, first of all, by their faith, and by their love. You see, the Ephesians had a growing faith. Notice verse 15. It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, the Ephesians grew in their Christian life and became dependent upon Christ for everything in their everyday, day in and day out living. They began to trust God more and more in the good times, in the difficult times, through thick and thin. They were not like the man who was attempting to cross the frozen St. Lawrence River in Canada, unsure of whether the ice would hold. The man first tested the ice by laying a hand on the ice. And then he got on the ice with his knees. And then he began to crawl on all fours across the ice because he was unclear if the ice would really hold his weight. And as he was making his way across the river on all fours, he heard the, the thunderous uh, uh, noise of a, a horse, uh, a, a couple of horses, a train of horse, and a carriage behind that. And he looked behind him, and on the road, there was a, 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 a carriage being driven by some horses, and they were making their way down the road, and then they make, made their way across the river, and they, they ran across the river right past him with a red crimson face. They knew that the ice would hold them up. But this man, as he's crawling on all fours, had no idea if it would really be so. And I have a feeling that many of us are like the man on all fours. We see the promises that God has given us in his word. 
We've heard the testimonies of others as how they've talked about how God has provided for them, how they've talked about how God has given them victory, how they've talked about how God has uh, met their needs when it seemed like their needs would never be met. Uh, but we, we're like the guy that's crawling across the ice because we may believe it a little here, but we really don't believe it here. The Ephesians knew that Christ had saved them and that Christ could hold them up. And as a result, they were charging ahead in their growth, trusting in the strength of Jesus Christ, trusting him more and more each day through the good times and through the bad times, through the lean times and through the times of plenty. They continued to grow in their faith towards God. Paul praised them for their growing faith. He also praised them for their demonstrable love. Notice what it says in verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints. Jonathan Swift was an author and a satirist and a cleric. He wrote this uh, very poignant statement about 200 years ago. He said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love. Our upbringing often conditions us to have preferences and prejudices, to arm us to think we are superior to others. I don't drink, and I don't cuss, and I don't chew, and I definitely don't run with those that are due. And somehow, because we have the absence of some things in our life, we think we are superior to others. Sometimes, because of the fact that we go to church, we look at our friends that don't go to church, and we look condescendingly down on them, thinking that maybe we have uh, achieved the, the pinnacle of spiritual achievement. And you know what? That hinders us from loving those people like God loves them. Because of this, we often keep others at a distance. Not the Ephesians. This was a body of uh, Jews and Gentiles. This was a body of free men and slaves. This was a body of rich and poor. This was a body where people had status and they had none and they came together. And the Bible says that they demonstrated love towards, notice the, the word all, all the saints. All the saints. Now, the word for love here is the Greek word agape, which means a volitional, thoughtful, purposeful love that seeks to love even those who are seemingly very hard to love. The love that God has for each and every one of us. Now, this love was made capable by and through the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence the moment each of these believers were saved. Verse 13 tells us that the moment we're saved, we're sealed with the spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our salvation. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit gives each believer the ability to love like God loves. Here's what Romans says in Romans 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed. Notice this. Because the love of God 
is shed abroad in our hearts, notice what it says, by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit enables us to love like God loves. That's not something we can manufacture on our own. That's not something we can do in our own strength. That's why we get so irritated. That's why we get so bent out of shape. That's why we get so testy. That's why we use the excuse, I'm just hangry. Because we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit that wants to control our life to ultimately yield the fruit of the Spirit. And the one we're talking about right here is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. You see, the Ephesians patiently endured the inconsistencies and quirks they had in love. Now, there's a few things that I hate in life. I mean, I really hate them. I, I hate... Um, I mean, I shouldn't share them. You, you're all listening now, though. You weren't listening up until that moment. I hate humanism. It elevates man to a place where only God should be. It elevates man to a place where man ultimately becomes the final authority in God. I hate liberal theology. It basically takes this book and tells us that we really can't believe it and it's just a bunch of fairy tales. And there's another thing I hate, that's slow golf. <laughs> I seriously hate slow golf. And man, I was, it was my 50th birthday on Friday, and I had planned to go to play at the TPC over in Scottsdale, and, and I don't do that every day. It's, it's my 50th birthday, and I played there. This would be my fourth time that I played there. And last time I played, I had a a round of uh, 73 going. It's this par 71 course for, for us normal guys. And I had a 73 going and uh, went into the 18th uh, uh, fairway or 18th tee box. And I, I ended up shooting a 75. I got double bogey on the 18th hole. Hit my, my, my tee shot, the water on the left. And I was so mad. Next tee shot, I hit the tee shot 310 yards. I had like less than a wedge into the green. And, uh, but I still double bogeyed it. And this time, I, I, I had a good time. I played 18th hole. I got, uh, I got a bogey. I didn't get double bogey. I got a bogey. I hit a great tee shot, another 300-yard drive. I know you don't think uh, that that's possible, but it was a 300-yard drive. It had 130 yards into the pin, hit a wedge into the, uh, the, the pin was on the right-hand side of the front part of the green, was in the bunker on the right, pitched out, missed my putt on the edge of the hole, and bogeyed it. But this time, we, they paired us up. I went this time with a, a couple of guys. One was from the Midwest and one was from uh, the Phoenix area. And a good thing, the, the, the worst of the golfers uh, took, uh, uh, when he got double bogey or triple bogey, he would stop. And I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> but the other guy, he'd stand in front of his ball and he'd, he'd move. <laughs> and inside him, like, hit the ball. <laughs> the round thing goes that way. You connect the thing in your hands 
with the thing on the ground and make sure it goes that way. Not in the desert, not in the water, that way. And so we were playing and it was like, it, we still finished in like four hours and 15 minutes, but we were the second time out. And so we should have been easily three hours and 10, <laughs> but three hours and 30 minutes, three hours and 45 minutes. And, and these guys kept like, like just standing over the ball, standing over the ball, standing over the ball. And, and just about what I was about to say something, my friend who uh, goes to another church in Peoria, he, he looked at me and he said, Adam, he says, it's your birthday. And he says, remember, aren't you a Christian? <laughs> I said, shut up. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes it's hard to deal with the inconsistencies and the quirks of others. It's easier to point out the faults of others than it is to look in the mirror and see our own. But this church, they lived out the new commandment that Jesus had given to his followers. In fact, this is Jesus' words, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye love also one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. You see, the culture in Ephesus was so affected by this love that it literally changed this area of the world during the time the church at Ephesus existed. So Paul praised them for their growing faith. Paul praised them for their demonstrable love. And he continues lifting them up in prayer. And Paul prays for their perspective. And notice Paul first prays for them to have perspective in their intimacy with Jesus. Notice verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, in order to know someone, there must be a knowledge on the part or both of the individuals in the relationship. And in order to understand that knowledge, there must be a mutual exchange of information in order to deepen that knowledge. In fact, you may, you may say, well, we got married 20 years ago, uh, but if you've stopped trying to be interested in one another, you're really not going to know your spouse intimately. You're constantly supposed to have conversations. You're constantly to delve into the feelings, and you're constantly to try to discern your husband or your wife so that you can continue to know them them intimately. And if you're a believer here this morning, it's because you have chosen to know God personally through his son, Jesus Christ, in salvation. And John describes this process this way. It says, of Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We receive, we believe, and we become children of God. Notice what the Bible goes on to say, which were born not of blood. You don't get saved because your parents were saved. You don't get saved by the will of your flesh, by doing good things. You don't get saved because you're going to will yourself. You're going to positive think yourself into heaven. You're going to manifest it. You only get saved through God. But let me just say this. It's possible to know Jesus in the way of salvation 
and not to know him deeply and intimately. In fact, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was to know Jesus in this way, intimately. The word for knowledge of someone or something is the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. But the word here is the word that is the amplified version of the word gnosis. It's epinosis, which means a deep, full, intimate knowledge. And Paul wanted the Ephesians who were growing in their faith and their love to also grow in their deep knowledge of Christ and thereby get his wisdom and truly understand Jesus' plan for their lives. In fact, Paul's life goal, Paul's prayer for himself was that he would know Christ. Here's what he writes as he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi. He says, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul, and more importantly, God, who was using Paul to pen these words, wanted the Ephesians to intimately know Christ, whereas the world today focuses on knowing yourself, finding yourself, all of which is the foundation of modern-day humanism, while self-evaluating is not a bad thing in and of itself, finding and uh, uh, focusing on oneself often leads us further from understanding ourselves and our purpose. Our end as Christians and beginning doesn't start and end with us. It starts and ends with God. And Jesus presents this interesting paradox in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. He says, he that loveth his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And then he says this, he that findeth his life shall lose it. Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. And then if you want to lose yourself, he goes on to say, that's when you'll find yourself. You see, we are to seek to know Jesus more intimately. And Paul prays also for the church to have perspective towards eternity. Notice what verse 18 says. It says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. In other words, God is using Paul to tell the Ephesians that some of, some of them have been walking in their Christian life as if their eyes are shut. They are literally sleepwalking. They are moving but not going anywhere because they cannot see. They do not have perspective. They cannot see something that God desires for them to see, and that something gives them a lack of perspective. Notice the text, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, they had lost or misunderstood the perspective that God had for them towards eternity. 
And Paul is used of God to write the hope of their calling and the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. They were so focused on the here and now of this world that they had not understood that this life that we live in this world is not an end in and of itself. It is to be, to be lived out to prepare us for what is going to happen in eternity future. Now I want you to understand this. Every believer stands to inherit eternal life. Every believer stands to inherit an inheritance in heaven when we pass from this life to the next. But every believer, sometimes we forget what awaits us. And we see what's in front of us, not understanding that this life is to be used to help us to ultimately prepare us for the next. I have a little slide here to illustrate this. So, our human lifespan is like that little dot you can see in the screen, even more so to understand this. You see that little dot there represents you being born, you uh, taking your first steps, you going from soft food to solid food, you uh, not only taking your first steps, but beginning running, learning to speak, uh, going to preschool, going to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, all the way through high school, college, getting married, having your own children, having your career, retiring, your children having children, you being grandpa and taking care of somebody else's kids just for a short time so you can give them back, amen. <laughs> and then you dine. That little dot represents every one of us. And eternity is like not just everything you see on the screen, but everything that is in this room and everything that is in this world. But often we only focus on that little dot. We don't focus what's coming after Focus on what's coming after that dot. In the famous passage of Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon was used of God to write the book of Ecclesiastes. It was kind of like he, at the end of his misspent life, he said, okay, there's some wisdom I'm going to impart to you, and I want you to understand I've had to learn some lessons the hard way, and, and here's one of those lessons found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and here's what God uses him to write. To everything, there is a season and time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And I could go on and on and on. But it caps off the, the idea here in verse 9 where Solomon is used of God to say, What profit hath he that worketh in wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. I've seen all the seasons that we as human beings have gone through. I've seen the problems that we face. And then he says this, God has made everything beautiful in his time. This is not the lesson. This isn't the main theme of the message this morning, but... All the seasons that we go through in the life that we live, I want you to understand, according to the word of God, 
God allows them, and when they're allowed, they're allowed, and they're a beautiful thing, whether we can see the beauty or not. Like Joseph said, they meant for evil, but God meant it for good. But notice what it goes on to say, and then it goes on to say this, also, he hath set the world, the Hebrew word has the understanding of not just the world in which we live, but the world in which we know, our time span. In other words, it could be translated eternity. God has set eternity in the heart of every man, woman, boy, boy and girl that lives on planet earth. God has set a void in every man, woman, boy and girl that only he can fill and only eternity can help us to see it. Interesting, huh? God allows us to go through seasons, saved and unsaved, believer and unbeliever, to understand that this world is not all there is. It can't be. And he has set an understood part of us that is always looking beyond this world towards eternity. It is a hunger, it is a void that can only be filled with an eternal perspective of an eternal God and trying to fill it with anything else will always lead us to come away wanting. Here's what we understand as human beings. This is the cycle that we often live. Another slide. As human beings, this is our tendency we uh, we fixate on a goal at the top at 12 o'clock. We put energy into achieving that goal at about 2 o'clock. We achieve the goal. We become discouraged after achieving the goal because that goal didn't bring us nearly as much satisfaction as we thought it would, only then to get out of our discouragement by fixating on another goal. We put energy into achieving that goal, and we put our all into it. Maybe this time, this is going to bring me happiness. Maybe this time, this is going to be satisfying. Maybe this time, this is going to be uh, uh, totally revolutionary to my life. We achieve the goal, and then we become discouraged after achieving the goal, not realizing that that goal and any goal can never satisfy the goal or the, the thing that God has put in our heart, the void that God has put in our heart. He has literally put eternity in our heart and trying to fixate on anything else is going to always leave us coming away wanting. But many of us are walking around with our eyes closed thinking that this world is all there is. My house, my job, my hobbies, this is all there is. Not understanding that the life that God gives us in the here and now is given so that we can prepare ourselves for the life that we're going to spend in eternity. Let's backtrack to more fully understand this. Ephesians 1.13 says, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed. 
you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God's mark in your life, God's mark in my life as a believer is his Holy Spirit that comes to take residence and indwell us the moment that we're saved. And notice what the Bible says, which is the earnest. The Greek word for that is the erabon, which means a first installment, a down payment of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means us unto the praise of his glory. Now, think about this in your mind. The Holy Spirit, our Erebon, our first installment, the down payment is given to help us understand that we have something to look forward to. And so everything we enjoy in this world, everything that brings us wholesome happiness, everything that brings us pleasure and joy is not an end in and of itself. It is a foretaste of what God has prepared for us someday in eternity future and that's what we fixate on. But many of us have our eyes shut. And we're walking through life with our eyes shut, not fully understanding where we're going. The encouragement from Paul is to open your eyes. Open your eyes. And then Paul prays for them to understand God's power. Notice the text. It says in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Look at this word, the word dynamis, the word from which we get the word, the Greek word is dynamis, the word from which we get the word dynamite. To us word who believe, according to the working energia, where we get energy. Some of you drink those things in the morning, those energy drinks, that's it right there, the working of his mighty excess. Power, kratos. I mean, Paul is giving synonym upon synonym to help us understand the full extent of God's power available to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying for these believers to truly understand God's power that can help them deal with any adversity, any sickness, any discouragement, any struggle with sin, any great task and feat that lies ahead, and the difficult relationships of life. God's power is limitless, and God's power is unlike anything they can imagine. So Paul is wanting them to have perspective not only towards eternity, he's personally wanting them to understand God's power and to have perspective towards God's power. Now, just before World War II, in the town of Itasca, Texas, about 40 miles northeast of Dallas, about 45 miles northwest of Tyler. A school fire took the lives of, think of this, this is horrible, 263 children. There was scarcely a family in the town that was not touched by this horrifying tragedy. During the war, Itasca remained without any school at all. But when the war ended, the town, like many others, began to expand and, in fact, built a new school which, which featured what was called the, the finest state-of-the-art sprinkler system in all the world. Now, civic pride ran high. Honor students were selected to guide citizens and visitors on tours of the new facility to show them the finest and most advanced sprinkler system technology could supply and money could buy. Never again would Atasca be visited by such a tragedy as the fire that they endured. Can you put that picture back up? 
But with the post-war boom, the town continued to grow, and seven years later, it was necessary to enlarge the school. And in adding a new wing, it was discovered that the state-of-the-art sprinkler system had never been connected. Can you imagine if a fire would have happened without that thing hooked up? But you know what? We all go through fires every day in our lives. And the way that we deal with them is right here and here. We don't deal with them this way. We don't deal with them by being connected to the power that is available to every one of us as believers. And Paul was trying to incite these believers to understand that they had a power, a dynamis, an energia, a kratos, a, a ixis that was available to them, but they had to get perspective regarding God's power. Paul prayed for them personally to have perspective. Secondly, he prays for them to understand God's power in perception. Notice the text, verse 20 which he wrought in Christ. This power was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand, his strong hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named and not only in this world, but also that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet. Follow along in the text. Look back at verse 20. God's power was perceived in the person of Jesus Christ on display when he raised Jesus from the dead, lifted Jesus from the earth in the ascension, set him on God's right hand in heaven, and this power is above angelic forces, both good and evil. It's above the systems, the strengths, and the governments of this world and the world to come. And for with this power, Jesus will subdue and bring to heal all things under his feet. So Paul wanted them to understand that that power was available to them. And then lastly, Paul prays for them to understand God's power through the church. Notice what it says, and hath put all, thing under, all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in all. So God desires to manifest his power today through the church. The church. The picture is used here of describing Jesus as the head of all things, including the church. Verse 22. You cannot have a complete body without a head. And you cannot have a head that's representative on its own without its body. And notice what the Bible goes on to say. Jesus is the head of all things, including the church. And then in verse 23, describes the church as Jesus' body, which together represent the fullness of Jesus, the head and the body to the world. And God desires to use the church to fill, to make complete, the word means, to, to give purpose to every human being in the world. Why? Because God has set eternity in every man's heart. 
He wants us, the church, his body, to carry the message that this world is not our final destination and Jesus can complete them. He can fill the void of their life. He can be their all in all. And God wants us to prepare for the next life, living in this life with the fullness of relationship and of power. But will we? Or will we go on business as usual? Not sure what we're doing. Not sure where we're going. Not sure God's will for our life. Well, much of God's will is already given to us right here. So I ask you just a couple of questions this morning and wrapping everything up. Have you come to know Jesus Christ personally, salvifically, by receiving him as the payment of your sins and the Lord of your life? Secondly, are you intimately seeking to epignosis him, to deeply, intimately have a full knowledge of him? Are you spending time with him on a daily basis in prayer and in his word? Are you calling out unto him in the dark moments of your life, in the great moments of your life, uh, having a relationship which deepens your knowledge of him? Have the eyes of your understanding be in, have they been enlightened? And now that you actually understand it here, will you allow it to affect here, understanding that the things that you continue to seek after, the things that you continue to fixate on, will never really bring you lasting happiness. And even when you achieve them, those are only to give you a foretaste of what's an eternity future. This isn't the end. And will you live that life that God continues to give you to steward with that perspective and with Jesus' power.